Now we're on. Hello? All right, if you can hear me out in the foyer, you can go on, come on in. We're going to get going. We did just have a question about uh, where to put items for uh, when you bring them in. And it is, there's a table out in the lobby, if you're kind of looking at the lobby here. It's just kind of like in the back corner right there. There's already some bags and things like that to put them there. My encouragement is, let's do this. Um, I know I kind of talked about it last, uh, the uh, back to school barbecue last week, but, um, you know, like I said, this is a big ask, and we're asking you to, to show up. Ten bucks, take it to, to Walmart, our, our target. Uh, that would help out uh, tremendously. Just grab a couple things, throw them on the table. We'll take care of that uh, from there. And then it's going to be a good event. And we're going to be here. We're going to serve our community. Uh, we're going to eat and fellowship together. Um, oh, and what Travis said, too, about the community. Maddie was actually talking about the event with one of her friends at a birthday party this past weekend. And the mom was like, hey, I would, I would love to help out with that. Um, can you send me the school list? So it doesn't have, people who donate doesn't even have to be from HGC. So talk about it with your friends or family. <clears throat> get them to chip in and help out. Um, like I said, 50 backpacks, we want to get them filled, uh, and it's going to be a good event. So anyway, uh, welcome uh, this morning. Uh, you got me again uh, for one more week. Um, I think Nathaniel Mervar is going to be taking the, the helm next week, and then uh, Trevis is going to be the week after that. And then Pastor Nate will be back from Albania. I did want to mention them this morning. They're doing well. Uh, Pastor Nate texted me this morning, our, our group of us this morning, and just said he was praying for us. He's going to be sharing God's word over there this morning in their service. That's about 1 p.m. our time. So if you think about that, be praying for them. And uh, we look forward to, to having him back uh, and their family and all the people that are, are there with them. I did want to tell you a funny story, if I could tell you a funny story from last week. So uh, it's just a story that proves, that shows that God just does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. So remember last week when I was really excited and we sang that last song and I told y'all and I said, hey, I listened to the song like 75 times. Well, I sat down and I was super pumped up and I was like, you know, praying that this, this song would just minister to y'all's hearts. And Stephen started playing it, and I was like, that's not the song. <laughs> two, two songs called God of Miracles. I listened to one. It was really great. And uh, Stephen's was really great, too. So um, it was awesome. And, you know, it just, it just goes to remind me that, you know, even though I'm up here and I prepare all week or, or you spend some time... God still does what he wants to do, and that's what we asked God this morning before the service as we gathered as a small group just to pray for the service, is that, that God would just show up and, and come and do the work uh, through us, because we're just empty vessels. We're, we're just people who, who want to come and, and love the Lord as best we can, and we rely on him to do, to do that kind of work. So anyway, I thought you would enjoy that. I, I was really trying to keep it together, because it was not the time to share that story last week. I wanted to live in the moment. We were doing good, but this week I wanted to share it with you. So um, this week we're going we're gonna to walk through 11 through 26 of the same chapter, and I was so incredibly grateful last week uh, that God was just, God just spoke to my heart. I just felt it, it very, uh, very clearly that God was just speaking and moving through, uh, through Mark 8. And um, as I walked through this week, um, he was faithful, again, and as he continues to be. 
And I was just challenged this week, and I, I really think that I, I don't think I've looked at Jesus' earthly ministry or the miracles that he did here uh, the same as I, I have over the past two weeks. And these, uh, these signs and these miracles in his, as he started his ministry, they were, of course, uh, used to, at this time in Bible times, to draw people to Jesus and to show people who he is. Right? And we could take that as a direct application. They're here in the Bible to show us who he is and to draw us to uh, himself. But last week we talked about those signs and those miracles to show the heart of God and to show that he is compassionate, that he is creatively powerful in our life and that he is the bread of life. And he shows these things to us because he loves us very, very much. And I started to study the passage this week and I started to ask myself this question, uh, why the disciples? You know, why this, this interesting group of men? Uh, why is he so patient? Uh, why is he so gracious? And you're going you're gonna to see that in the passage. And why so merciful? And the, the passage that we're going to look at today continues to, to show God's Jesus, his heart for the disciples, his grace and his mercy. And I really... Uh, have been looking at the, the miracles of God, of Jesus, throughout his ministry, going, wow, these are, these are to show us his heart. These are to show us his character. Uh, these are to show us what he wants, and what he wants is you. He, he doesn't just want your attention. He doesn't want to draw your attention to the miracles of God and then just fear him. He wants you to understand his heart for you. He wants you to know how much that he loves you. And I was reminded of the verse that we read this morning out of Ephesians. Ephesians 2.4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, even when we were sinners, and I love Jim's prayer this morning, is, man, it's one thing to think about the grace of God that we get, our salvation, where we stand today uh, in uh, light of who Jesus is and our, the salvation that we have. But it is a whole other thing to think about the grace that we were offered before we were in that state. How much he loved us while we were dead in trespasses. He, we are made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved because of his rich mercy. I started looking at that word. I was like, man, mercy. Compassion and forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish. That is different than grace. And there are many times that I uh, take my children and we have a discipline issue in the house and we have to come up with some sort of punishment for the, the breaking of the rules. And when we get to that stage, there is sometimes in my parenting that I will offer grace. And I will show them and I will say, hey, this is, what you, this is what you should be receiving. And instead, I'm going to withhold that punishment because of, of grace. And I've really done my kids an injustice. And I'm not, you know, it's still grace, but it's the mercy. It's mercy. And that's what I'm just trying to teach my kids, a biblical principle. And I've forgotten this little word called mercy. Compassion and forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish. I have the power to punish my kids as their dead. I have the responsibility to punish my kids as their dead. But when I reserve that punishment and give them something that they don't deserve, it is called mercy. My 
uh, uh, unmerited favor towards them. I love them regardless. That's grace. That's the grace that we receive from God. But we also receive mercy. Oh my gosh, mercy. He gives us, or he reserves uh, punishment. He gives us compassion and forgiveness towards us. And why does he do that? And that is because we are valuable to him always. And you've probably seen, you've probably seen this illustration of, of this principle, but I'll, I'll give it to you anyway. So this is a real $20 bill, right? And $20 is a lot of money to me. Some of you are probably like, I don't really care about 20 bucks. But I'm going to ask the Jacksons because I know they have, they have Noah and they have a kid and 20 bucks would buy their lunch this afternoon. And I'm going to ask you guys, do you want this $20 bill? Okay, well, I'm not going to give it to you because we're not that kind of church. <laughs> so <laughs> prosperity gospel is not the gospel. It's $20 bill. I can ask them if they want it. All right, they say they want the $20 bill. Watch this. Look what I did to it now. You want this $20 bill? Sure, it's still a $20 bill, right? Okay, well, watch this. You want it now? It's dirty now. But you still want it? It's dirty, but it's still a $20 bill. Why? Because this $20 bill never loses its value. No matter what you did to the $20 bill, it'd still be a $20 bill, and you would still want the $20 bill. And that's how Jesus views us is that no matter what happens, no matter what happens to the $20 bill, you can crumple it all up and you can make it nasty, it still hold, that's, that $20 bill still holds its value. And that's how Jesus views us, is that we are still really, now i got a crumpled up 20. Oh, we are still, we are valuable to him. And no matter where you're at in life and no matter how you view yourself and no matter where you were before salvation or no matter where you're at pre-salvation, maybe you, you haven't had that moment yet. Jesus still sees you as valuable no matter what. And no matter what, we retain our value as sons and daughters of Christ. So it's with that in mind, right? That's what God has helped me to see this week. It's with that in mind that I want to prepare our hearts to, to read Mark 8, 11 through 26. So, God, thank you so much for this morning. I pray that you would Help just illuminate your scripture to us. Help us to understand and to see what you're trying to show us through a group of people who lived a long time ago, uh, through, through people who lived by rules and regulations, through uh, people who, who walked with you and uh, had a hard time understanding, and, and uh, through people who uh, physically could not see. Um, and you came in and moved in their life. And so, God, I pray that you just help me uh, to speak uh, clearly but boldly. Help me to, uh, uh, to step out of the way and allow you to speak to your people this morning. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, well, let's stand up and read God's word. We're going to look at 11, like I said, through all the way through 26. So just bear with me. We'll read it all together. We'll get that context, and then we'll take off in, into the scripture. Mark 8, 11, it says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, uh, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, 
Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, and how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, which my wife so graciously corrected me. I was saying Bethsaida last week. It's Bethsaida. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And they took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid hands on his eyes again, and opened, he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. You can be seated. So this week, we're going to talk about each of these three situations in regard to the blindness of the people involved in the, involved in the scene, okay? Uh, the first one, uh, the first scene that we see in the people who are spiritually blind are the Pharisees, okay? And, and we see that the Pharisees came and they began to argue with him, okay? Number one, uh, where was Jesus? Does everybody remember it last week? He was in Decapolis, which was south east of the Sea of Galilee. So he gets from there, and he goes to the city of, which was last week, and I told you we'd pick it up, right? The city of Dalmanutha, right? In, cha- in verse 10, right? So they go to the district of Dalmanutha. Dalmanutha and Magadan, okay, which we see in Matthew and Luke, okay? Same, same place, same region. They don't know exactly pinpoint on the map where that city is, but it is somewhere northwest of the Sea of Galilee. So he gets in a boat, and he goes over to Dalmanutha. He hangs out there. What I find interesting is it's like, you know, they were waiting for him to come back. Like, he's already been there, and the Pharisees are just so mad, and they're so angry at Jesus, they don't understand that they're just waiting to argue with him. So they want to argue with him. Not only that, but they, they... Uh, seek a sign from heaven to test him. That word test is really uh, different because this sign and that test are not like a sign, like a miracle, like he's been performing. It's more of a sign from heaven. Like we want God to speak to us and tell us that you are Jesus the Christ. Um, And that is the kind of test that they want to to have. And they are, are sitting there they're, they're waiting for him uh, to do this. And he sighs deeply in his spirit, which is just shows his spiritual anguish for these people. And he says, why does this generation seek a sign? This gener- generation that he's talking about here is specifically the generation of Pharisees, of Jewish people <clears throat> in this time period. And why do these people, these Pharisees, seek a sign? This, this kind of sign that says God speaks from heaven to tell, him, tell them verbally uh, and he says, truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And well, what does that mean? We've already seen signs. They've already seen signs. They've seen miracles. And again, they will not receive a sign 
as specific as they are calling out and asking for. And he leaves them, he gets into the boat, and he goes to the other side. Let's just break that down for just a second. Is One, this shows me that the heart of those that ask for a sign is important. Although that they are asking for something very specific, we talked last week about boldly going before Jesus and asking him uh, for things, right? And asking him to show up. Maybe we need a miracle. Maybe we need salvation for unsaved family and friends. Maybe we have a long-lasting ailment that we need fixed or we need healed. And we talked about going to God and asking him for those type of things. And this situation right here shows me that it is about the heart of those who come and ask. When the Pharisees come with a heart that says, We're gonna te- I'm going to test you and see if you'll show up, that is not the kind of heart that we get to come before God with. He is the Almighty. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if we proclaim all of those things, we should know just out of simple understanding that you don't come with that type of attitude to say, this is what you will give me and then I will believe you. That's not how it works. Christ died for us, and therefore we have a Savior that we can go to, which shows me that the heart is important and that it's entitled versus expectant. We talk about this word entitled a lot today in our culture, right? And I, 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 I hate to use the word millennial, but we use the word entitled and millennial in the same context in our culture. And we say, well, look at these group of young people that are just entitled, that they think they deserve something uh, that they shouldn't get. We don't like that word. We don't like that feeling. I don't think all millennials feel entitled. But that sense of entitlement, that when my kids come to me and they expect me to just give them something, that doesn't go over really well. But when their heart is expectant, knowing that their dad cares for them and loves them and wants to give to them. As long as their hearts are in tune with my heart, I will gladly give. Right? And that is the difference of heart between the Pharisees and those who come asking expectantly, knowing that God can and God will if he chooses and our hearts are tuned to him. His response to this type of attitude, this type of heart, is he gets in his boat and he leaves, right? He says, you're not getting a sign like that. You're not going to test me. That's not how it works. And they're hard-hearted. So he gets in his boat and leaves. And you say, well, why doesn't, he, why doesn't he show some patience? Why doesn't he show like he does with the disciples? Well, if you go back to Mark 6, Mark, uh, in Mark 6, Jesus sends out the disciples for their first like practice missionary journey. And he says, hey, we're going to give you power and you're going to go out and you're going to share the gospel and you're going to do some some cool things to show that, that, that God is the most powerful and that he loves people. And he sends them out and he says, hey, when you go to certain cities, you're going to come across people who don't love me and who also reject you. And if they don't receive you, then just shake the dust off your feet and move on. And that's what, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's not just completely dismissing people that, that he needs to teach. He's dismissing them because he knows, hey, they're not receiving me. It's time to shake the dust off my feet and move on. And that is a a hard thing to do for us. It is something that we need to be very discerning with. But that's what Jesus does in this situation is shake the dust off his feet. He says, hey, you're not going to receive a sign like that. We're going to move on. So he gets in his boat and he goes across the way. Now, again, remember, we're in Dalmanutha, which is north 
uh, northwest, and he goes across to the other side, which directly across, if you head east all over the Sea of Galilee as he gets in his boat, is Bethsaida. So they get in the boat, they're heading to Bethsaida, right? And we have a, uh, a scene now uh, with some other blind folks. And this scene uh, is, is cringeworthy at best. Let's pick up in 14. It says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. Now, as I, as I read this this week, I, I really did. I literally physically cringed, like, oh, please, please no. And it's like, it is like someone was going to like, tell you a story about uh, like a time where like, oh, the other day I was reaching for something in a drawer and I put my hand in there and there was a thumbtack and it slid under my fingernail, right? Everybody, ugh, even, even, even vocal, oh, ow, right? Um, or, you know, when uh, this time I was at Moody and there was a fire alarm that got pulled and so we all have to exit the building, and we go to this little grassy area, and we play this made-up game with two trash cans and a soccer ball, and it was basically like kill the guy with the ball and try to put the ball in the, in the, in the trash can at the same time. And uh, we were playing on this little grassy area that was met with concrete, and my friend was, was running, and he tried to stop on the grass, and he stopped, and then the concrete started, and then him and the concrete hit, and then it like snapped his leg, it, like like a twig. Yeah, that, that right there. That's what I wanted. That worked, okay? That's, that's how I read this passage. I'm like, please don't talk about bread in the boat. Uh, you, just had two, you just had two experiences with Jesus where he fed 5,000 people with se- seven loaves and, and then, then 4,000 people with, with a few loaves and a few fish. P- please, please just don't talk about the bread. That's not going to be good for you. So he says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He gives this illustration of leaven with Pharisees and Herod, okay? And he says, look, hey, we, we know, you know as Jewish people that we use leaven as, a, uh, as an illustration for uh, uh, sin all the time, right? During the Passover, Passover week, they had to remove all the leaven from their house, like every little speck and crumb of leaven out of their, had to come out of their house, Right? Leaven is uh, perpetually used for sin in the life of the believers. And so he says, watch out, beware of this leaven, this bad stuff from the Pharisees and from Herod. He is saying, look, we need to beware, we need to be on guard about the leaven of the unbelievers. Right? They will reject me, they will reject these things, and these are the things that we need to be careful about. But they didn't hear those things because, look, he says... <clears throat> Excuse me. In verse 16, it says, And they began discussing. They hear this phrase. They begin discussing with one one another the fact that they have no bread. And I'm like, ah! No, that's exactly what you weren't supposed to do. But they hear Jesus talk about leaven, and then they assume, well, see, he obviously understands. We don't have any bread. (laughs) Like, just they just completely miss the boat. That's a good pun. Um, (laughs) Jesus aware of this, he says, hey, why are you you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Have you hardened your heart? Having eyes you not see, having ears you not hear, and do you not remember? 
And he gives illustration of the things that they should be remembering. And in this scene, we see God's giving a warning. Hey, this is what I want you to to learn and to to gain, this warning about the leaven. He's not, he, he is talking about leaven, however, he's not talking about the bread, which is the disciples' fatal mistake. And so he gives five, these five questions to reveal his heart for the disciples. This is where I think it gets super cool and super interesting, is he does not ask the question, why are you not listening to me about the leaven? That's not the first question, nor is it one of the first five. He doesn't say, how come you're not listening to my illustration that I'm giving to you about this warning? He says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? You have a physical need, I'm here. You have a physical need, I'm here. Do you not yet perceive or do you not understand? You have a problem, and I'm here. Are your hearts hardened? Can you, in your heart, Can you not see what we've been doing for the last several months together? I'm here. Have you no eyes uh, to hear, or no eyes to see, no ears to hear? You've been watching. You've been listening. Can you not see? Can you not hear? I'm here. And do you not remember the last several months? Can you not think? I'm here with you. It was not because of their failure to grasp the meaning of his warning, but at their failure to understand the meaning of his presence. He was not mad that they didn't understand yet another illustration or parable. He was not mad that they didn't track with him and they weren't paying attention. He was upset with the fact that his rebuke comes because their failure to grasp the meaning of of him being right there in the boat. Because when he asked the next couple of questions, we're reminded of what happens when people are in God's presence. Because then he asks, when I broke five loaves for the five thousands, how many basketfuls were there? And they responded, 12. They remembered. And at the seven for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. They remembered. Because when, when people are in the presence of God, there is healing, there is provision, there is care, there is love, and there is mercy. And he shows this to them in a way by saying, hey, I'm not mad that you're not listening to me, but I'm really, I'm really more upset that you don't understand that I'm here, I'm right here with you. See, the problem between the disciples and the Pharisees is exactly the same. They're failing to grasp the meaning of his presence. The Pharisees can't see it all, right? They can't see that God has sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. The difference is that the disciples are missing the boat while they're on it, and the Pharisees aren't even on the boat. He wraps this section up with a rhetorical question. He says to them, Do you not yet understand? Do you not understand? At this point, I start to question, are they ever going to get it? Are the disciples ever going to really see who Jesus is? And then we come to Bethsaida again. And Jesus yet again shows his mercy. 
he shows his faithfulness, and he says, let me show you one more time. So they pull up to the dock, they get off the boat, they come to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hand on him and he, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hand on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. What's happening in this section of scripture is absolutely mind-blowing to me, but it brings me back to Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy, he loves us so much that he'll show us again. And he takes for the seventh time, this is the seventh healing of a blind man, and he does it a little bit different. He goes to the village and he removes him. I believe that this removal of the man from the village is for two purposes. One is to establish a one-on-one relationship with the man. It removes him out of the, the publicity of Bethsaida again, right? All these people are expecting, they've seen Jesus do his thing before, right? And so he just takes him out of the town to get alone with this man. The second is to have an intimate platform for this man and for the disciples, because his time, Jesus' time is now drawing near. We're going to get rap, we're going to be rapidly heading towards the cross. And Jesus knows that his ministry with these guys is ending. And so he wants this intimate uh, position with his disciples. Come and draw away with me, with this man, and let me show you how this is done. So he has this intimate platform there outside of the city. He's with his disciples and with this man. And it's the first time that Jesus has a two-stage miracle. Most of the time when Jesus does his miracle, it's instantaneous. Boom, done. And man, person, woman, raised from the dead, now can fully see. Now they can hear. Lame, get up and walk. Uh, Man with the withered hand, hands good. This miracle is different. This miracle is different, and it shows me a couple different things. One is that God works in different ways for different people. Each time he healed these deaf people, they were all just a little bit different. And God works in our lives differently uh, with each, than with each other. God doesn't work in my life the same way he works in your life. doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's different, right? God works in different ways for different people. The second thing it shows me is that why are the question I asked was why is this miracle different and why was Jesus unable, which is the wrong question to ask, but that's what I asked, why is Jesus unable to ha- handle this in, in one stage? It had to be two stages. Well, it was purposeful, and I think it's purposeful in the question that that we hear Jesus say, and it says, do you see anything? This man was, had his eyes spit on, and he opened his eyes, and Jesus says, do you see anything? Indicating that it was intentional on his part, not a weakness in the man's faith, not a weakness is in Jesus' power, but it was a fitting follow-up to his rebuke for the disciples in, in 17 through 21, right? The man was no longer blind, but his sight was still poor, How like him was the disciples? They're on the boat. 
The difference between the Pharisees and disciples is they're blind, but at least they're on the boat. The Pharisees aren't even on the boat. And now we see here in this situation a man who gets a little treatment, and he's on the boat, but it's a little blurry. Can you help me out a little bit more? Jesus touches him again, and his sight is restored. Through Christ and his mercy, that man's sight was restored. And I think that that shows us how God works in our lives, is that as he's wrapping this up and he's heading towards the cross, he's got some things to teach these guys. And salvation, instantaneous, right? Salvation is an instantaneous moment in time. As soon as you say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, that salvation is, is now and we believe is permanent, that he, he seals you right there for heaven. But sanctification, on the other hand, is a continual process. It's a continual process. And that's why I think he's trying to convey to the disciples here, look, sometimes it's not just going to be an instantaneous thing where you're fixed, but you're going to see and you're going to hear. And maybe it's a little blurry at first, or maybe you just don't really understand at first, but you're going to keep coming to me and I'm going to give you what you need. And I will complete the good work that I've started in you. Jesus' plan here is heart-wrenching. It is hopeful. It is lovely. And I'm thankful that Jesus has the same patience and mercy with his disciples that he has with me. That as I continue in my Christian walk and as I continue uh, moving through this life, that when I mess up or last week when I told you, man, sometimes I just forget how, how big God is because I get so focused in on my daily life. When those things happen, he's not upset with, to show me again, to take me by the hand and pull me out of the city and say, look, Here's what I want you to see. So there's a couple questions that I have for you this morning. And the first one is, where are you at with our merciful Savior? The God who has, it is fully within his power to punish. But instead of, offers compassion and offers forgiveness. This God, where are you at? Are you spiritually blind and not on the boat like the Pharisees? Let me tell you this morning, you are valuable. He wants you as a son, as a daughter. Just as Jesus called the disciples, he is calling you this morning to follow him. And if you're in that position this morning and you have not yet trusted God as your Savior, he is doing that right now. Are you spiritually blind and not even on the boat? Or are you spiritually blind and on the boat like the disciples? You know him. You might be able to even see, but maybe it's a little bit blurry. What is God trying to teach you right now? Are you spending time with him to find out? And even more importantly, are you listening when you spend time? Or are you worried about only having one loaf of bread? Are you worried about something so minuscule, and you also know of his faithfulness to provide for you. Are you listening when you spend time, or are you worried and distracted about this life? Jesus is asking you, do you see anything? 
And when you open your eyes, are you going back to Jesus because it's a little blurry? Or are you seeing clearly and moving forward with the call that God has on your life? Whatever it is at that moment. For some of you right now, it's salvation. For some of you, it's just walking in obedience. For others of you, it's just seeing God's mercy and rejoicing. For some of you, it's seeing God's mercy and letting that lead you to repentance so that as that leads you to repentance and you can come around full circle and worship the God who allows you to ask for forgiveness. These are the things that are possible with a merciful God. And this is what sets us apart from a lot of other religions is that a lot of other religions spend so many time trying to appease an angry God. And all we need to go in is just worship our God who loves us unconditionally. We're going to sing about that mercy. Worship team, you guys can come back up. We're going to sing about the mercy of God, where we were, dead in our trespasses, where we are now because of who he is. And so my encouragement to you is just to sit and, and sing and listen and spend some time with your creator that says, look, hey, I know uh, sometimes you're in the boat and you just don't get it. And there's some questions that you may need to ask yourself. Man, why am I, why am I fussing? Why am I, why am I thinking about the bread that I don't have when God's trying to teach me something? Why am I trying to distract myself with all of these other things when God's trying to show me something. And you know what? He's faithful to show you again if you need it. Just ask him. So spend some time with him this morning on this, this first song. Thinking about our merciful God and how much he loves us and how much he gives to us.